Heritage Foundation. I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. President Trump made some pretty bold campaign statements, but one of them received particularly high criticism from the left and high praise from the right, and that regards GDP growth. That's why I believe it's time to establish a national goal of reaching 4% economic growth. And my great economists don't want me to say this, but I think we can do better than that. GDP, or gross domestic product, is defined as the market value of all final goods and services produced within a country in a given period. It measures businesses, households, government spending, exports, while subtracting our imports or foreign products. And while not perfect, it seems a reliable guide as to the general health of the economy. But one thing is safe to say, the higher growth, the better Americans are. Last Friday, when the Commerce Department announced that GDP grew by 4.1%, the White House took a victory lap because many thought this number was almost impossible to reach. Now, many on the right are using this to push for more pro-growth policies like tax reform and regulation reduction. This is another big Trump win. He went to the country, got elected on the slogan, make America great again. We clearly now do have a great economy. The economy is looking up. The Commerce Department reporting 4.1% growth in the second quarter. It's the best performance we've seen in nearly four years, with businesses and consumers spending more. It is sustainable. We've lowered tax rates, we've rolled back regulations, we've unleashed energy, we're moving to fix a broken world trading system. You can see big numbers on capital spending, business investment, productivity is going to come from that. Higher wages for ordinary working folks throughout the country. This is a good story. It's a solid story. My hunch is it's going to go on for quite a while. It's not just one quarter. So let's break this down. What does GDP growth mean for the middle class? Is it helping? Or like many on the left say, is it just a favor to the wealthiest of Americans? To talk about the new GDP numbers and the state of our economy in general, I sat down with Stephen Moore, a distinguished visiting fellow in the Project for Economic Growth here at the Heritage Foundation. He also served as an economic advisor to Donald Trump during the 2016 presidential campaign and continues to unofficially advise the president on economic issues. Steve Moore, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tim. Give us a brief description of what GDP is and whether or not you think it's an important measure of how our economy is doing. Well, the GDP is just the measure of of precisely that, how the economy is doing. It's a measure of our uh, collective output, everything we produce in a month or a quarter or in a year. And that number is off the charts, growing. Uh, This is, as we predicted, if Trump put in place deregulation and lower taxes and pro-American energy policies and pro-business policies, that you would see this kind of unleashing effect of – of these businesses really expanding their output. It's, by the way, this is, you know, we give a lot of credit to Trump for his policies, but this is a real testament to the 28 million men and women who run American businesses who uh, are expanding and finding ways to make profits and hire more workers. And so this is a great time to be an American. It's a great time to be an American worker. And I, I'm one of those people who thinks this can last for another two or three or four years. Many people have, they've already heard the second quarter growth number being 4.1%. 
That's up from 2% in the first quarter of 2018. <laughs> and they hear these numbers, you know, 2% and 4.1% and say, you know, that's not that big of an increase. So if you could maybe break it down and tell us what does it actually mean to go from a 2% increase to a 4.1% increase. Maybe you can put that in context for non-economists. Well, let's see. We have a uh, you know $20 trillion economy, so every percentage point increase in growth means something like $200 billion additional output. That's the whole output of Michigan and Ohio combined. So these are giant numbers. Um, you know, the economy uh, under Obama was growing at a little less than 2% over his eight years in office. Under Trump, you know, we're at three to three and a half percent growth now in his term. So that, you know, that's a big increase. It means the economy is growing almost twice as fast uh, under Trump as it did under Obama. And one of the reasons higher economic growth is so important is if you can raise the economic growth rate to, say, three percent from two percent, that additional one percentage point may not seem like a big deal. But over a decade, you know, that leads to about three trillion dollars more federal and state and local tax revenues because, you know, people, if they're working, if got businesses are profitable, they pay more taxes. If people are shopping for things, you get more uh, sales tax revenues. So the growth is the best way to bring down our debt and deficit. And we're going to start to see that under Trump. You know, I like to look at jobs. I like to look at wages because this, as you said, Tim, how does this affect the average American? And they can see this in, in the uh, openings for jobs in businesses. We now have five to six million more job openings than we have people who can fill them. That's a kind of nice problem for economy to have, unless you're the businessman or woman who's trying to find those workers. Um, you know, we have, we're starting to see wages rise. And that was the intention of the tax cut, by the way, wasn't to help rich people. I mean, I love rich people. I, we all want to get rich and we want more rich people. But the intention was really to uh, create a tighter labor market, to get more businesses investing as a way to lift wages. Because for 20 years, wages have not really budged up for middle-class workers. We're starting to see those rise a little bit. And I think as the labor market gets tighter, businesses are going to have to start offering workers more uh, pay. And incidentally, you see this in wages and uh, in bonuses. If you see the official um, statistics that are looking at wages, the big left line now is, oh, wages aren't rising. Well, they're raising a little bit, but one of the things that that doesn't take into account is bonuses. You know, so there's six million workers who've gotten bonuses everywhere from a thousand to three thousand to four thousand dollars, and that's a big increase for somebody who's making forty thousand dollars a year to give them a two thousand dollar bonus. So I think this is a good. This, the condition of the American worker today is very strong, and boy, has it changed over where it was uh, two, three, four, five years ago. Steve, last year you wrote that if we really want to see a healthy economy. We need real and sustained growth of 3 to 4%. You agreed with Trump that with the right policy, we can reach these numbers. But many economists on the left, including Paul Krugman, Larry Summers, and Austin Goolsby, don't. Certainly, if you use the standard of what the administration has held out the hope for, 3 to 4% growth, there is nothing in any data suggesting that we're moving towards that 3 to 4% growth standard. 3% growth. Is this a sustainable 
pace. Could we get back there with the right policy mix? Uh, no, we could get there if we get very, very lucky. If some wonderful technology comes along or you know, something, productivity surges for reasons that we don't understand. But no, there, it's, there's nothing in policy that would raise the growth rate. Um, nobody, you know, I could, you could make me total dictator and do everything I believe wow. would work and it still wouldn't get you up by more than a few tenths of a percentage point. Uh, I say you're, you, you and your magic beanstalk beans are not being realistic. Why does anybody really listen to Paul Krugman or, you know, Larry Summers or <laughs> the faculty of, uh, you know, economics faculty at Harvard or Yale? They, they completely misread the economy. They said if Trump is elected, we're going to get a second Great Depression. Now we've got the strongest economy in 25 years. So they couldn't have been more wrong. You know, it's like getting in a plane and you're, you know, flying to California and you end up in Kazakhstan. You know, so that's how <laughs> wrong they were. Big mistake. And a big mistake. And so, you know, I think those people should show a little humility and just say, you know what, we were wrong. And by the way, I'm not always right. I've, you know, you know me for a long time, Tim. I make mistakes. I've made wrong predictions, uh, you know, and uh, I remember when Clinton was president, I said, oh, this isn't going to work. And, we, you know, we had very strong growth. And I said, you know what, these policies, you know, are, are working pretty well. So, um, yeah, we can do this. The, the, now, the argument that is made, even by some of our friends, is like the economy's running out of steam, you know, that it's a long recovery. And it has been, I think it's one of the longest recoveries we've had in the Since last- 2008. You're saying the recovery yeah, from exactly. way back in 2000. Okay. That's right. Yep, yep. So, you know, this is, you know, now a nine-year recovery. That's a long recovery without a, you know, without a, a recession. So people say, well, it's, you know, a recession has to be right around the corner. And the reason I don't believe that's true is because, yeah, we had a recovery under Obama, but as you and I wrote these papers, it was the weakest recovery we ever had for, and for a lot of Americans in places like Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and West Virginia and Kentucky, there was no recovery. Let's talk about different measures of the economy. Is GDP the entire picture? I know you talked briefly about the labor market, things like that. Can we still have a healthy economy if we don't sustain a 4.1% growth rate? Can we do that? I mean, can we settle for three? Can we settle for 2.5? What? Where would you be comfortable? Where would you be happy? Well, I'm going to sound like Donald Trump and say, I want five. <laughs> you know, like, let's aim high. I mean, there's no reason. Look, you know, we laugh at that. And, and yet, you know, when John F. Kennedy was president and he cut taxes, we had 6% growth for three or four years. When Reagan cut taxes and deregulated the economy, we had quarters of 8% growth, 8%. You know, we're talking about 4% growth being a great number. Can you imagine 8.3%? So, you know, there's no law of economics or law of physics that says the economy can't grow faster. You know, if you have more business investment, if you have more people working, if you have more invention and entrepreneurship, you get more growth. And one of the things that's happening now is we're sucking capital in from the rest of the world. You know, I always say in a you know global economy, whatever country gets the most capital wins. And we're doing that now because we have a very pro-business environment here. And so, yes, this is sustainable. Uh, I would like to see growth, um, you know, up in the three to 4% range for a long time. Now, one thing I will say that is very flawed with the GDP numbers that we've talked a lot about at Heritage is guess what is one big component of GDP? Government, government spending. Yeah. yeah. And government is a negative for the economy, not a positive. So we should probably subtract government from GDP. So if you get a big boost of government, and unfortunately, unfortunately, in the first and second quarter of this year, government grew. So that 
that was this illusion that the economy is growing. But, you know, as my colleagues here at say, say at Heritage, every dollar the government spends is just a dollar that's subtracted from private sector. Right. You know, the government doesn't create anything. So th- that is something that's a little bit concerning as the government's growing too fast. Incidentally, state and local government grew too. Now, why is that happening? Because the economy is booming. State and local governments are getting more receipts. And what do you think they're doing with that money? They're spending it. Let's talk a little more about what this growth means for Main Street America. Heritage recently released numbers that say a family of four will save nearly $3,000 per year or almost $45,000 over the next 10 years because of the GOP tax cut. So how are policies like tax cuts and regulation reduction playing a role here? Tim, I mean, those numbers you're talking about are just crumbs. You know, come on. <laughs> Joking, folks. That's Nancy Pelosi. A Nancy uh, Pelosi you know, those quote. are very significant numbers, you know, for a family that makes, you know, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 a year, you know, an extra two or $3,000 in income. I mean, I've literally met people on the street who come up to me and they'll say, gee, I know, you know, I know you worked with Trump on this tax plan and I just got a $1,500 bonus for my employer. And these are people who, you know, are you know, lower middle class people who are doing service jobs and so on. That's a big deal. Uh, you know, if, if you've got, if you're like Nancy Pelosi and you've got, you know, 12 acres and you've got a swimming pool and a mansion, that doesn't add up to much. But for, for working class people, that's a lot of money. So that this is the, you know, idea of creating a rising tide that lifts all boats. And, you know, as we speak, you know, I'm looking at a New York Times, Times headline that says, you know, the U.S. Treasury is weighing a $100 billion tax cut for rich people. Well, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, we're talking about a reduction in the capital gains tax that will add and, and indexing it for inflation that will add to, you know, the capital stock in America, more business investment. It'll allow people to sell the assets they have now and redeploy in new businesses and new startups and new technology companies. How is that bad for America? How is that a tax cut for rich people? That's a tax cut for working class people. And incidentally, 100 million Americans own stock. So how how is this just for rich people? Okay, one last question. In all your experiences with Trump since you began working with him on the campaign until now, what is your most memorable story? I, I was out um, at Mar-a-Lago uh, in Palm Beach with, uh, and the president was there. This was, you know, a month or two ago, and um, I had the occasion to to just chat with the president for three or four minutes. And I came up to him, and you know, I kind of tapped him on the shoulder because I came up from behind. And, hey, Steve, isn't this tax cut the most unbelievable thing? You know, he's such a he's a very uh, cheerful guy, and and uh, you know, I just said, you know, Mr. President, this is stuff is working even better than you know we thought it would. <laughs> and I, I just said to him, I you know, I I knew it was going to help growth, but I didn't think we'd get to four percent so quickly. And what he's he just turned to me with a big smile. I said, Steve, you ain't seen nothing yet. So how's that for a happy ending? That's awesome, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. And that's it for today's episode. Please share our podcast with your friends, rate us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week when Michelle talks about the Santa Fe school shooting. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad. 